It's time for a legendary introduction. Welcome to Unpacking the Box. I really think nobody does it better. Join the conversation as we cover everything from life and relationships. All a woman wants is a choice. Inspiring interviews. That just hit me. Wow. And everything in between. Just keeping it real. We keeping it all the way real. Whoa. Now let's start unpacking. This is Linnea, your host. Today, I'm here with Whitney Knox Lee, who is a civil rights attorney, y'all. Yes. So isn't that so amazing, y'all? And a fellow podcaster. She is dedicated to advancing the lives of people living in poverty and people of color. Welcome, Queen. How are you? Thank you. I'm good. I'm so good. I'm excited to be here. Um, You know, I'm just starting on this journey of podcasting. So I love when I have the opportunity to meet other podcasters and beyond shows so thank you for having me happy to have you on i am really excited about this conversation let's get into it yes yes so first before we get into it where are you from i so i live in atlanta i'm from seattle washington and uh yeah i made that journey the reverse migration down to um, georgia about 10 years ago so i've been here for 10 years now oh wow okay how do you like it in Atlanta? I like Atlanta. And, you know, initially, so I am a city girl. I'm a city girl through and through. Um, but when I first moved to Georgia, I was in um, a small city in southern Georgia. And when I say culture shock, mm-hmm. um, like I had no idea. I really felt like um, a fish out of water. But I, I acclimated and have like a real fondness now, particularly for rural uh, Black folks. Uh, because that life is, it's it's a special life, you know. Mm-hmm. It's and how people, you know, down there it was a, a lot about agriculture, but there was also a lot of poverty and just the ways that people make ends meet and their determination and resilience when there aren't a lot of resources like there are in cities and urban centers. Um, it's mm-hmm. a it's a n- different way of living, and I I appreciated it. Okay, okay. I got to do a foodie vibe check, you know, for Atlanta. How's the food in ATL? You know, I mean, it's good. It's good. It's real good. I can't, these days, you know, we can't be affording to eat out all the time now uh, with with this inflation. But, you know, the brunch scene, the brunch scene is, I, so I, uh, the first time I went to brunch, I showed up in some sweatpants and that's not okay. Don't do that. Oh, like- if you come into Atlanta, unless they're going to be like some really cute, like, I don't know, designer name brand, looking fancy with some heels, sweats, then maybe. But I, okay. that wasn't the kind of, that's not how I showed up. I was not okay. ready. I didn't know. So now I know better. God, oh my goodness. That's too funny. <laughs> so uh, duly noted, okay? So if I ever go to ACL, which I plan to, I'm going to make sure that I, I, I note that and I dress, dress up. To impress. Okay. Dress to impress. Because okay. it's, it's an event. I don't know. I think like DC, maybe it might be a little bit similar because I've been a little bit up yeah. there to brunches, but like it's an event. So, okay. Yeah. Well, that is, that is good to know. Okay. We, y'all, y'all better write that down in case you're going to ACL. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So, all right, let's get into it. So first of all, I always have found civil rights attorneys to be so interesting, that field to be so interesting. And that's a, one of the reasons uh, why I wanted to have you on the show because I, I'm so fascinated by that. So I'm so happy that you agreed to come on. So mm-hmm. what sparked your interest in becoming a civil rights attorney? Yeah, so, you know, taking it all the way back, I, I grew up in a household of um, service where service was highly valued. And I, from pretty early on, knew that I wanted to be some type of advocate. I didn't know if I wanted to be an attorney. Um, I went to school as a social worker, um, got my undergrad degree doing social work. But when I was doing an internship, I was placed in a public defense office and was just so intrigued with all that the legal system is. Um, 
and this was still in Seattle. And so I was seeing a lot of racial disparities um, amongst who our, our client, you know, communities were versus who the people, what the people looked like who were serving. So usually it was back in that time, 10 years ago, 12, 13 years ago, it was white folks who were the attorneys and folks of color who were the clients. And, you know, to some extent that still happens uh, because we have a very low percentage. I'm not sure the exact number of folks of color who are practicing attorneys and then <laughs> even lower of women of color who are practicing attorneys. Mm -hmm. um, but at any rate, I decided to go to law school after that experience and knew that I wanted to do something that involved racial justice. Um, I had become very aware of my blackness through throughout college um, and had met some folks who were really teaching me a lot about our culture and a lot about um, what we can do with our passions and our brilliance. Mm -hmm. um, and I wanted to be in position in a position where I was living with folks of color and not just like helping, you know, being of service. And I couldn't really find that at the time in Seattle. So mm -hmm. I wound up moving to Georgia um, because essentially I wanted to be around folks of color. Um, and I started out there doing civil legal aid, um, which is different than civil rights in that it the type of work that I was doing was less impact oriented. So it was more of individualized representation. I would <laughs> see a specific person with a specific problem and then help them with that problem. After seven, eight years of doing that though, I became increasingly frustrated with the systems within which we were working <laughs> and um, basically made the decision to transition into civil rights work, which um, the type of civil rights work that I do really gets at systemic issues and often systemic racial issues. So mm -hmm. what I do now um, as a civil rights attorney is represent, um, I represent low-income folks and people who are incarcerated, who are experiencing civil rights violations at the hands of usually government officials and sue them to, you know, the jails and the prisons. Um, and I am an impact litigation attorney. So that means that I am representing like classes of people in class actions or mm -hmm. the cases if I have individual clients, they're the issues in that case are issues that are gonna have overarching effect on a broad variety of people who are in similarly situated positions. Okay. So, yeah, so I mean, I the short the short of it is I became frustrated with our systems and, you know, that, you know, my belief is our legal system is in place to keep folks of color marginalized and um, in poverty and in prisons and jails. And that's frustrating to me, you know, and so I wanted to do work that was going directly against that that system. Mm -hmm. That's amazing and inspiring. And I'm so glad you went into what you focus on because I know there are different layers to civil rights attorneys and the things that they focus on. Now, um, is that something that you will probably just, you know, remain focused on or will you venture out to other branches of civil rights? You know, I'm, I'm really not sure because I, so I, I do have a side hustle that's doing um, equity and inclusion consulting to law firms. Mm -hmm. um, be, because again, like the core, my core passion is really around working to uplift poor people and people of color who are, you know, often the same people mm -hmm. um, and really addressing issues of racial injustice and educating people on like, what are we even talking about when we're talking about racial injustice or discrimination or racism and what is the historical context that we're working within so if i say that our systems here in the united states are racialized systems like what does that even mean i really enjoy educating people on that type of thing and so um right now i'm actually trying to determine which way i'm going i'm feeling like i need 
I want to focus on one or the other. Um, mm -hmm. And so I don't know, you know, what role civil rights litigation is going to continue to play. Um, but right now, you know, it's something that I enjoy doing. I'm very passionate about it. Um, you know, I went to law school in hindsight. I went to law school for the power that having a JD has, you know, and mm -hmm. so I want to be a powerful advocate. And right now I'm just trying to figure out how best to do that, whether that's litigation and in courts or whether that's education um, and specifically educating um, people in positions of power to treat people better, treat people like humans. Yeah. Yes, because we need it. We need yeah. it so much. <laughs> yes. So I love that. So what has your experience been like, you know, working and being a civil rights attorney while being Black, the beautiful parts, the challenges? So I'll start with the challenges because without a doubt, the hardest part for me is that the people that I'm working with could be me. Mm -hmm. um, and it's really difficult to see you know, people being held in cages, specifically for me and the type of civil rights law that I practice. Like people are held in, in cages. Um, people are held in cages without medical care, without food, without water, sometimes without clothes, without working toilets. Um, you know, I'm a mother and I've worked with pregnant women who are not getting prenatal care. And like, that's particularly triggering because I had a, um, difficult labor and delivery and high-risk pregnancies. And so it's, I don't know, like the line between the person that I'm working for and like me and my situation just feels so thin. Like mm -hmm. any random thing can change and I can be right there. Um, because particularly like, so I work with people in prison and people in prison have been convicted of a crime. But I also work with people in jail. Jail mm -hmm. is, for the most part, where people who have not yet been convicted of the crime are being housed. And they're being housed there because they've been deemed um, too dangerous to society to be out based on whatever their charge is, or because they're poor, they don't have money for bond. Um, and, or the other reason is so that um, courts can ensure that they show up to court. So those are the reasons why people are being held in jail, which means I can be accused of a crime and then put in jail and somebody somewhere, a judge and some attorneys will argue about whether or not I should be let out of jail until I have my trial. And mm -hmm. if they decide that I need to stay in jail, then I will stay in jail until somebody lets me out. And that's terrifying to me. And it's particularly terrifying because of the conditions of our jails, particularly here in Georgia, where people are literally dying in their jail cells without access to anything. Like people die and nobody knows for days um, in their cells. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, that's been really difficult for me is seeing people who look like me, people who are my age, people with my background, who may or may not be, you know, guilty of some crime. I know I'm guilty of crimes. Like, let me not try and put myself out here like I'm a perfect human because I am not. And I have certainly done some things um, that had I been caught would have put the trajectory of my life and my ability to even be in this profession in jeopardy. Um, <laughs> so that's very difficult. What's been very rewarding is that I work with people who, despite the horrible circumstances that they're in, um, they have so much like faith, particularly, you know, down here in the South, it's a very religious environment, a very spiritual environment. Mm -hmm. I am spiritual. Um, I'm working with somebody who's serving a life sentence for a crime that we believe he didn't commit. And he is just so faith faithful so mm -hmm. steadfast in that he has a purpose he doesn't you know hold resentments um he is just a beautiful person a beautiful being and that is like so inspiring for me because i'll be out here all upset and been out of shape over traffic 
But like I'm in a car, I'm driving, I own my car, I'm driving to a home, I got mm-hmm. family, I got income, you know, all of these things. And I will get so upset over something that really means very little. When we got people that are in all sorts of situations that um, have nothing to feel hopeful for, yet they're able to maintain positivity. They're able to maintain their own sense of value and worth. Um, They're able to bring light into other people's lives. And that's amazing to me. That's really inspiring to me. And so um, I love that. I also love the rare occasions when we're successful in our legal battles. Um, One of the misconceptions that I had about civil rights law was that like, okay, this law is in the book. Clearly they're violating the law. So make them stop judge. And that's not at all, at all how Mm -hmm. it is. Because for as many like laws of protection that we have, there are just as many loopholes. Some of them um, are written laws. Some of them are just how the court practices. Um, And so it's very, very difficult to have significant gains in civil rights law. Um, And so that's why each time something amazing happens, like last week, the Supreme Court um, overturned Alabama's electoral maps because Mm -hmm. of gerrymandering Um, and that was a several year battle and that's huge it's huge because we don't really win all that often yeah definitely so when we do get a win it's 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 amazing it's amazing and it's cause for celebration in the extra extra way you know Mm -hmm. I I agree oh yeah definitely and that's why I love the work that you're doing because it's, it's so important because we know how, you know, people of color are treated in this yeah. world. We are treated inferior and it's a fact. And, you know, so many people that are not of color, they get angry when we focus, when we do focus on things like, you know, doing things for people of color. And it is not to exclude, but it is to um include right because they don't include us you know we wouldn't have to do things like this if we were included and so I I think that's important that's right I mean it goes it goes back to equity and which is this idea that like in our society we would not be able to determine an outcome of an access to a resource or even success or not success based on somebody's race Mm -hmm. So if we lived in an equitable environment, we would all have the same opportunity. And it's different than equality because equality is saying treat everybody the same. Um, That's where we were, you know, the early, you know, early in civil rights movements and, you know, in our history, Black folks have been wanting to be treated equal. And still today, like I want to be treated, I guess, equal. I'm well, I want to be treated well. But um, this idea of equity is making it so that we are starting from the same place as white people. So Mm -hmm. if that means in building wealth, that we are starting from the same place and whatever accommodations need to be made so that we can start there, you know, let's do that. Um, And there's a lot of conversation and there's actually a case in the Supreme Court right now talking about affirmative action. And one of the like, reframes that I love about affirmative action, which is this idea of like, um, it's basically an equity measure for people of color. It's mostly used in hiring for jobs, Mm -hmm. but also in universities. Um, And it's this idea of uh, basically giving somebody extra like points for being a racial minority um, so that they have a better chance of getting into the school or getting the job. Mm -hmm. So A lot of people are against that, fine. Um, But one of the reframes that I love is this idea that the initial affirmative action took place within white communities. Um, And going back even to slavery, the first kind of slave labor workers when our colonies were created were European indentured servants. When 
the slave trade started and Africans were being brought to what's now the United States um, for forced labor, the indentured servants were given the opportunity to be um, overseers, essentially, um, because their labor was no longer needed. Because now we could enslave people without paying them anything and create all of this capital. And mm-hmm. from the work of our ancestors, um, you know, the United States is the wealthy nation that it is today. Um, and so even more in more modern times, when we think about things like um, unions and the fact that unions, when they were first created, came like the purpose was to protect workers and to provide workers with measures so that they can save, so that they can have health insurance and life insurance and all of these things. But unions were racialized. So, but not like um, explicitly. Mm -hmm. What was explicit is that unions did not allow or you could not unionize as like a domestic worker or an agricultural worker. And domestic and agricultural workers were primarily folks of color. So unions in reality wound up serving white people. And it was through unions that people were able to start getting benefits and saving, like getting paid time off or getting a holiday or getting sick time, that type of thing. Whereas domestic workers, and still to this day, we see that domestic workers and agricultural workers, you know, they don't they don't get these benefits that a lot of us <laughs> enjoy. Um, the yeah. one other example that I have, two other examples, the Social Security Act, um, which created income, retirement income for folks. Um, that was a racialized system that did not allow for Black people to uh, benefit from. And now, you know, we all heard stories of people of like legacies in schools or in business where Mm -hmm. like a parent went to that school and so now their kid gets to go or a parent er works at some law firm and they got their kid hired on somewhere else. Like these are all examples of affirmative action where Mm -hmm. because of somebody's race um, and connections, somebody is getting a leg up and other people are being left behind. Those other people are folks of color. So when we have these conversations about affirmative action and like, and for me, this is this is a racial justice issue. Um, when we're talking about equity versus equality, we have to start from a point of the reason why equity is necessary is because for the 200 plus years of our society, nothing's ever been equitable for folks of color. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you and I'm glad you're touching on that because we're about to go there next. Uh, <laughs> it's first of all that I can literally we may have to talk again at a later date because I can literally go into that. It is so much because when you talk about the workplace, when you talk about affirmative action, equality, race, you know, race identity at work and things like that, that, that is such a <laughs> it could go on forever. There are so mm-hmm. many problems. Yeah that need to be fixed and and just being black and and working is a challenge in itself you know I've had many just my personal experiences like with work and being a black woman it is it is such a challenge and I'm just so tired of having to work quadruple hard Mm -hmm. to Mm -hmm. prove myself worthy you know because of what I look like because of what I am and so that is just oh my goodness I can literally talk about that all day so and I want to ask you so in correlation to race identity at work and Mm -hmm. the promotion of racial uh, racial equity I can't talk today y'all oh my god (laughs) what strategies can be used for us to move in the right direction when it comes to racism and discrimination in the workplace yeah so I mean this is a great question and it's something that companies are trying to figure out actively particularly post George Floyd's murder Mm -hmm. um and there's, there's a lot of things, I mean, 
It's not an easy question to answer because a lot of things need to happen. I would yeah. say a starting point is like having curiosity enough for organizations to do equity audits of their policies and procedures. Um, this is an inventory that not a lot of people, individual people, let alone organizations want to do. Mm -hmm. um, because we also have to remember that our organizations, like the workplace is made up of individuals and individuals are living with their own bias, whether that's um, feeling of inferiority because we're people of color or feeling of superiority because we're white people or as a person of color, feeling that white people are superior. Um, you know, we are socialized to take on these white supremacist cultural norms, not white supremacy, not the KKK, but like the cultural norms that show, that say, that create this idea that white people are superior, that white people are centered over black people or other people of color, that their opinions are more important, that their appearance is prettier, that their hair is more professionally appropriate, that, you know, whatever the thing might be, we as individuals are coming into these workspaces with our own individual ideologies and biases. Mm -hmm. And many of us don't want to do this inventory for ourselves. Like we don't want to do a bias check. Um, there's a tool and there's probably many more tools now. Um, Harvard has one where you can go online and do this like um, bias check. And it's essentially a test where you make rapid decisions um, and it will tell you whether you have a bias towards one group or another. And they do it for race, but they also do it for disability. They do it for, I believe, even like fat phobia. They do it for a variety of things, not just race. Um, that individuals, that's a step that individuals can take to better understand their own bias and then to mitigate that. And so mm -hmm. on the individual level, um, one of the suggestions that I heard in a training a couple of years ago that I loved is just this idea of like becoming more familiar with with the group that you feel some kind of way about, you know? like. So yeah. if I am taking, if I find that I have a bias against white people, no, I don't want to use white people. If I find that I have a bias against Asian people, then one thing that I can do is go and know some Asian people, go and get to know them, go volunteer at an Asian community center, go, you know, start doing shopping at an Asian grocery store instead mm -hmm. of at my local Publix. Like, Go and have those interactions and that, um, I can't think of the word, but essentially like sometimes our bias comes from just the unknown of not knowing about these other cultures. And once we're able to actually learn about people and make mm -hmm. friends, we can start associating the entire culture, the entire race differently. So that's like yeah. one suggestion that I have on the individual level to overcome a bias that we might have is go and get familiar, like figure out what, what biases you have and then go and get familiar with whoever you're biased against. And then for organizations, you know, we do these things called um, race equity audits where essentially you can hire a consultant to come in and go through all of your policies and procedures um, and identify where in the policies and procedures there might be, um, where the policies or procedures are disproportionately impacting one group over another. And mm -hmm. whether it's doing so in a negative way where it like has a negative impact on a group or whether it has a more positive impact on a group. So one example of that might be dress codes. Um, if you are in a professional environment and it's determined that the appropriate attire to wear is business wear. However, um, you employ folks of color, but the vast majority of those folks of color work as like the receptionist or the person answering the phone or the mail clerk and don't actually have the money, like they're not paid enough to be able to support 
that wardrobe, mm-hmm. um, that's an equity issue. So, you know, that's something that that organ- that um, workplaces can do um, is start with an equity audit to mm-hmm. figure out like what work needs to be done and, and assume that work needs to be done and that yeah. that's okay. Like that's, that's okay. That work needs to be done. That's yeah. not the bad thing. The bad thing is knowing that work needs to be done, but then not doing anything exactly. and letting the systemic harms um, perpetuate and get worse. Yeah. When you know it's not right and you know, right. you know, there needs to be something done about it. So I agree. Right. I definitely agree. So you have a podcast that's coming out in July. Yes, I, I love it. Welcome yes. to the podcast community. This is a, this is a really amazing community just you know I started in 2019 I mean it's just an amazing community and I pray you have the best experience in this community as well so tell us the name of it and what it will entail yeah so first of all let me just say if I knew that podcasting was this much work I would not have (laughs) I would not have signed up for it yes like I had this idea and and so okay the the podcast is Impostrix Podcast as you mm-hmm. mentioned, um, we'll be launching July 25th and it will launch as an audio podcast. Although I will have some video content available on YouTube and TikTok and other places. Um, but the purpose of the podcast is to affirm the lived experiences of professionals of color who navigate imposter syndrome and racial toxicity in their careers and in their workplace. Um, and so this is exactly what we're talking about because um, one, I think many, if not all of us, us meaning people of color who mm-hmm. are in basically who are working, not even like I don't I don't love using the word professional, but I didn't know what else to say. So um, but, you know, we have these systems that are predominantly white that are made for white people at the exclusion, the explicit exclusion of people of color. The legal system is one of those systems. The entire purpose of the legal system as it was created was keeping enslaved people and black people in line. Um, and so we experienced the, like we experienced some stuff. And I think what I found for myself is that I'm able to heal from some of these traumas that I experience when I'm in community with other people when Mm -hmm. I know that I'm not alone in what I'm experiencing, um, when I'm able to get suggestions from other people about the tools that they use to overcome the racial toxicity or the imposter syndrome. Yeah. Um, And when I have some context for it. And so that's what, that's what the podcast will do. It'll, it'll talk about historical context. So these things that I'm talking about today around like the social security act and unions and how we build wealth and why we're behind in building wealth. Um, we're going to talk about the historical context of racial capitalism and what that means for us today. Um, we're also going to talk about like science. And one of the people that I interviewed, I'm super excited for, is a neuropsychologist who talks about the impact of racial trauma on our brains. Um, mm. She did a study, right? She did a study about racial trauma on the brains of Black women specifically. Um, so we're going to talk about like stuff like that, like, cause it's validating for me to know, right. Like it's validating to know that like, okay, what I think I'm feeling and experiencing, I actually am feeling and experiencing. And it's actually having like the physical toll that it's taking on my body is real. It's not something that I'm being. Yeah. That that you made up. It's not. Yeah. It's real. Yeah. Right. Because so much of our experience too is gaslighting, is racial gaslighting. Is this like. You started out by saying it earlier when a person of color, a black person, whoever says that was racist or whatever, people are so quick to say, no, that wasn't. You're just being too sensitive. Yeah. Listen, it's it's a lot. Well, it, it sounds like this show is 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 much needed. It's mm-hmm. necessary. It would definitely mm-hmm. be in my rotation. Okay. Thank I mean, you. I mean you gotta put it in y'all rotation too. Yes. Yeah, because I love to okay, so I Obviously, you know, my mom, my mom uh, raised me to love everyone, right? But obviously, mm-hmm. I'm a black woman, and I know that I'm not treated like 
a white woman, right? So mm-hmm. I realized there are problems. But, you know, it's, it's funny because my first, my very first best friend when I was young was Asian. So I was exposed to different cultures at an early age, but I still knew, you know, I know I'm black and I know that it's different for me. And just, I've especially had, my most of my challenges have happened in the workplace. And I just, you know, I've, I've always felt, another reason why I started this podcast was because I, I, did, I didn't like, well, I switched gears, but I didn't like how black people were portrayed in mainstream media. I don't like how we're portrayed in mainstream media. So I did I decided to challenge that narrative and that's what I do with this podcast and everything I do. I'm challenging the narrative. I'm saying no, that's not that's not all of us. You know, a lot of us are out here doing amazing things. You know, we're not you can't generalize us. You can't do that. Just as we are different shades, which is the beauty in what we are. We do different things and that's not uh, that's not us. That that story that you're trying to portray, that is false. And so Absolutely. Um, you know, I, I felt like I had to suppress my emotions a lot of the times in the workplace. I have to suppress who I really am in the workplace. Um, I can't speak up on certain things because if I do, then I'm labeled the angry black woman. I'm, I'm violent. I'm being angry, you know, just because I'm simply just expressing myself. And so mm-hmm. I find, you know, doing the, the, the plethora of uh, creative endeavors that I do, it helps me to release that and, uh, it really makes me feel good and to be around other black people whether it's men or women women that you know sharing that experience you know so yeah, yeah I just wanted to share that with you absolutely and I think you raise a couple of, of great points and and one is the the having the outlet um a creative outlet like for me this podcasting experience has been amazing because I've not really ever considered myself the creative type like I'm logic minded Mm -hmm. Um, and not like a feelings person. I'm not like a body person, but I'm trying to get more into like somatics and all of that. But Mm -hmm. this is an outlet. Absolutely. And it is so affirming, um, Mm -hmm. to, to be doing this project and to be talking to people like yourself who are sharing these experiences. And like I said before, like letting me know that I'm not alone, like above all else, my podcast is for me. Um, And I just know that there are other people out there who experience what I experience. Um, And like, I didn't talk much about this idea of imposter syndrome, but you know, going to what you were saying that like, not all of us are the same, like we're not actually, our lives aren't like how they're portrayed on on social media. Like I get this feeling frequently of, of imposter syndrome, which is this feeling that like I'm a fraud or I'm a fake and I'm gonna get found out even though I've done all the things to deserve my law degree, for example, um, Mm -hmm. I still don't believe that I deserve it. And I think that like, what, what I want people to walk away with is this deep knowing that our existence is success. Like our, just our basic existence as black women, when, in this country Mm -hmm. our purpose for being on this land was to serve other people and to make other people money so at any point where I am surviving thriving where I have a job and I make money you know for myself and I get to bring home for myself like we are our ancestors wildest dreams you know that's Mm -hmm. so true and I feel it so so much more deeply after having some of these conversations um, because the fact of the matter is what I do in my life, like being an attorney is a slap in the face to colonization and colonialism and slavery. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes. And I love that because I not always say it. It's like we always talk about we want change, right? But we mm-hmm. have to infiltrate the system. We have to infiltrate the system. That's the, that's the, that's the heart of it. That's the meat of it. So that's why I appreciate what you do because it's it's much needed work, and I know it's hard work, and not all of us could do it, but somebody's got to do it, you know. And so somebody has to do that work. And so, yeah. 
And why I ask you too, because I know that's heavy. I know that work sometimes can be heavy and your emotions could possibly spill out because again, you're human, you know, even though you're doing that work. So what do you enjoy doing for fun, you know, to keep your, like, cause I know you have to probably try to keep your emotions intact while you're helping someone else. Right. So what do you like to do when you're not working and to unwind? Yeah. So, um, I have kids, I have a family, I have a husband, so I love spending time with them. Um, We just got back from a beach vacation and we're surprising our kids at the end of the week with um, a trip to Disney World. Oh. Yes, which I take a deep breath about because I don't know that we're really ready for this, but um, you know, we decided to to do it. My mom lives down in Orlando, so we're gonna go visit her and and, um, do Disney. So anyways, spending time with my family, but also I have a sister circle, girl. I got a sister circle and they're my everything besides my kids and my my husband. Um, hanging out with them, texting with them all day long. Yeah, you know, that's really, um, I like doing that, that's fun for me. Um, just being in community with them is fun. Mm-hmm. Um, I used to like cooking, but you know, honestly, now podcasting is fun. Like that's, at this point it's a hobby um maybe it'll turn into something more but um I've been as I said before just incredibly grateful for this outlet because it is an outlet and it's something that I enjoy um learning how to do the technical stuff and the marketing and the content creation like that's all using a part of my brain that I don't really use often and and so that's been (laughs) fun yes you will learn a lot oh my goodness you will learn so much it's so amazing I love it I love that so so what's your favorite meal? Uh, that I cook or to eat? Uh, just to eat in general. Ethiopian. I like Ethiopian food. So like there's a spot that does a, um, they, it's called Bole. It's in a, Atlanta. They do like a combination plate that has like three different types of meat and then three different types of side. And we always get the same meats and the same sides. It's usually like lentils and carrots and two types of beef and a chicken. Um, but I love Ethiopian food, so. Ooh, okay. I have never tried Ethiopian food, but I, I want to. Girl. I want to. So good. It's so good. So oh, good. Yeah. I love it. Not everybody loves it. I love it. You love it? Well, I'm going to try it. I'm like a super foodie, so I'm into trying new things. So I definitely, that's going to be on my list to try. I love it. And I really recently, this is like, gonna it's going to be super bougie, but whatever. Um, ain't nothing wrong with being bougie, right? So wrong. <laughs> I really love charcuterie boards. And oh, me too. yes. And my friend during the winter, like it's been this has been like a six month obsession for me at this point. My friend mm-hmm. um, turned me back onto them when I went to visit her out in Washington. And um, now I really just love going to farmers markets, buying fancy local cheese and meats, and then coming home and making a whole spread of cheese yep. and meats and and fruit i love them yeah i love it and not just for like you know because a lot of people use it for parties but i just buy it on a regular day i just like it it's pretty first of all for lunch pretty for lunch exactly yes. <laughs> i yes. feel you i love that i love it so what's your favorite book movie and or both okay so i gotta look at my phone real quick because there is an author um whose book I read, the book is Razorblade Tears. Mm-hmm. Okay, by S.A. Cosby. He okay. has three books now. And a friend just told me like yesterday that his third book was just released like last week. Um, okay. And so I'm about to get up on that book. But Razorblade Tears and what Blacktop Wasteland, I think is the name of the other book, are amazing Um fictions they're written by S.A. Cosby who's like a southern black noir fiction type writer um suspense thriller and race is always a component of his right or I shouldn't say always in these two books that I've read so far are a component of his writing so I'm looking forward to getting that on my little audiobook app because I don't got time to read these days <laughs> okay um <laughs> And then movie, look, girl, I don't know. But I will tell you that I love me some Denzel. Me too. Me too. Okay. So, Whatever he's in, it don't matter. Yeah. Yeah. Whatever. I'm going to watch it and it's going to be good. 
Yep. Because Denzel. I feel you on that. Uh, what about show? You Are you into watching TV shows? Not really. I also don't really have time for that. I do like um, also the kind of crime dramas. Uh, mm-hmm. I like the medical shows. I like The Good Doctor. And I one of my sons is autistic. So I like, oh. um, I don't know, stuff that features neurodivergent people. Um, and I like sitcom, The Wonder Years, the new Wonder Years reboot, um, and The Neighborhood, and Blackish, you know, Black people shows. Okay, I can dig it. Those are all good ones. I love it. What's in your playlist? What are you bumping to? Girl, Lizzo. Okay. Lizzo, I am on the Lizzo train. I went to the Lizzo (laughs) concert. Um... Last year here in Atlanta, it was the funnest show that I had been to in a while. Mm-hmm. Love it, love it, love it. Um, I appreciate everything that she brings to the industry and to my life um, with her body positivity, um, yeah. a- among other things. Yeah, I've never been to a Lizzo show, but it seems like she gives a great show from the clips that I've seen. It looks like she gives a really, really, really great show. So, okay, okay. I like it. I like it. So listen, I had so much fun talking to you. I enjoyed this conversation. Yes, thank you. Me too. I And I want to actually name another playlist situation because this is bringing it down way down like several notches is this group called shoot um they do healing music is what i would call it because for me it always feels very healing um beautiful chorus and you can find them on spotify or just google them or whatever but it's like they do chants they do almost like spirituals but sometimes without necessarily the spiritual i don't know y'all just got to go listen if you need something yeah beautiful chorus okay you need something to like get you calm and centered maybe you're somebody that meditates maybe um you need good sleeping music like it's to me it's so powerful because it's like a group of i think four or five women and it's essentially like acapella style um, singing. And it's just beautiful. Like for me, it's like soul music. Okay. Well, I'm going to check that out because I, yeah. I love music. I love all types of music. So I will be looking up beautiful chorus and yes. add next to my playlist. Okay. Yes. I love it. Yes. So now before I let you go, though, you know, this is unpacking the box. There is something I love to do with every guest at the end of every show and it is called Unpack Your Box and that's basically where you get one minute to say whatever you want. Whatever's on your chest you want to release it. It's your time. Okay, so I'm just going to say I've been enjoying trying something new. I've talked about this a little bit already, a lot of it already, but um, it really is like for those of you out there who have been thinking about doing something, about taking a risk, it's worth it. It's worth it even if you don't get the return that you think you want. Because like, I haven't even launched the podcast yet. I don't even know if this is gonna be quote unquote successful. I don't know if it's gonna reach anybody, but I do know that everything that I've learned in the past six months has been worth it. That in itself has been worth the effort for me. So I just, if there are folks out there who are teetering back and forth between trying something new or taking a risk or maybe switching careers or whatever the case may be, do it, do it. You got this. Yes, I love it and I agree. Do that thing that you do, but that you're scared to do, do it. Yes, that's what I'm all about. I'm like, I will tap into whatever I want to tap into I will do whatever is going to make me happy because guess what you get one life to live do all that you want to do why not yes and if you're afraid because you feel like you are quote-unquote weird or strange guess what you need to tap into that weird and strange thing because that's the thing right there that's going (laughs) to catapult you okay absolutely that's the thing yes so tell the people where they can connect and tell them about your podcast again where they can find it so they can look out for it and you have a trailer so give them all your good stuff so they can get in contact 
Yeah, I do have a trailer, don't I? So um, <laughs> it's Impostrix Podcast. I like to listen to my stuff on Spotify, but wherever you listen to your podcast, you can find it. Um, I have a, a trailer up, so you can go ahead and listen to that. But it's the, the show will affirm the lived experiences of professionals of color who navigate imposter syndrome and racial toxicity. I am on Instagram at Impostrix Podcast. Please follow me. I do have a website up um, at it's impostrixpodcast.com. I'm on LinkedIn under my name, Whitney Knox Lee. And I'm like today, literally today, starting a YouTube channel. So um, I think it's called Impostrix Podcast. Like, I think you just Google that or search that in YouTube. So um, those are the places you can find me. I have a TikTok, Impostrix Pod. And if you're interested in being on my show, or if you have questions about how to navigate the situation at work, shoot me an email. Or what do they say? Slide in the DMs or whatever <laughs> it is. Um, send me your question because I part of the show will be answering like questions that folks have because we're all trying to get through this, right? Like we're all trying to get through this. So um, do reach out to me. Let me know. Yes, I love it. Guys, make sure you connect with Whitney. Make sure you look out for her podcast. Check the trailer out. I already know it's going to be amazing. I can't wait to add it to my rotation. And as always, I always tell y'all, I would never stare y'all wrong. She's amazing. She's out here doing amazing, necessary work. And I love it so much. Thank you again, Whitney. I really appreciate you for coming on. Thank you so much. This has been a pleasure. I've had fun. Oh, thank you. I'm so, I'm so happy to hear that because I, I really want people to feel comfortable and have fun yeah. over here because I have fun. I love talking to you and I yeah. hope that we can ke- we can stay connected. Absolutely. Absolutely. I'm going to have to come back after a, maybe after season one and I can I can yes. break that apart with you and <laughs> and recap. Yes, let's do it because I'm going to be listening, girl. Yes. yes. All right. Cool. <laughs> yes. Thank All you right. so much. You are so welcome. All right, y'all. Out. Wait, before you leave, keep up with your girl on Instagram at unpacking underscore the underscore box underscore podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in. Be well.